The scripture reading today is Acts 13, 1 through 3. Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas and Simeon, that was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, and Manon, which had been brought up with Herod the Tyrach, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fastened, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fastened and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. Amen. God bless you all this morning. It is said of him, he wrote 13 of the 27 New Testament books. He established at least seven churches on three different missionary journeys. His first missionary journey in Acts 13 and 14, he covered almost 1,400 miles. You have that on your screen this morning. And before I get to say it, you also, that you guys, when you're studying your Bibles, in the back of your Bibles, it usually have maps. And all of Paul's missionary journeys are on maps you have in the back. So his first missionary journey covered 1,400 miles. He went from Antioch to Derby, back to the way he came. So he started in Antioch and then went all the way around and then came back the way he came to return to his home. In Acts chapter 15 through 18, on his second missionary journey, he covered 2,800 miles from Antioch through the province of Syria and Cilicia, through Jerusalem, and then made his way back to Antioch. In Acts chapter 18 through 20, he went on his third missionary journey, covering 2,800 miles from Antioch to Jerusalem, and some say he went from Jerusalem back to Antioch. The Apostle Paul covered 10,000 miles in missionary trips in nine years. He preached before political leaders in Acts chapter 24, 25, and 26. He preached before the religious intellectuals of his day in Acts chapter 17. He preached before his own people, Acts 9 and 20. He preached before the least of these in Acts 16, 14, and 15. His life story can be summed up in the following passages. Philippians chapter 3 is one of the passages. And this is what he says to the church. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man think that whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcise the eighth day of the stock of Benjamin and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Touching the righteousness of the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 22 through 33. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool, he says. I am more. In labors more abundant. In stripes above measure. In prisons more frequent. In deaths oft. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeyings often, in perils of waters, 
in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brothers, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger, thirst, fasting, in cold and nakedness. Besides those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Who is weak? And am I not weak? Who is offended? And I burn not. If I must needs glory, I will glory the things which concerns mine infirmities. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is blessed forevermore, knows that I lie not. In Damascus, the governor under Artius, the king, kept the city of the Damascus with a garrison, desires to apprehend me. And through a window in a basket was I let down by the wall and escaped his hands. The Lord Jesus Christ prepared the Apostle Paul for the very things he was talking about. In Acts 26, he gives his testimony to the king of what God had done for him. And this is what he says. And we were all fallen to the earth. I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And I said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness, both of these things which thou hast seen, and of those things which I shall appear unto thee. Delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light from the power of Satan unto God that they may receive forgiveness of sin and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. How was Paul able to fulfill this mission that Jesus called him to when he slaughtered and killed the very ones he was supposed to reach? He couldn't go back to the Jewish people because these were the guys he convinced. He said, hey, these Christians are tearing up our religion. We got to kill them and get rid of them. How can he go back to those guys? He's the one asked them to go with him on his trip to slaughter them. How could he go to the king and the, and the authorities at the time, the Romans? For he asked them, said, you need to send me out. These people are tearing up your religion. These Christians say there's only one God. He's been revealed in Jesus Christ. And there's not multiple gods out there. And he asks you to live a certain way. We got to get rid of these people or they're going to tear up your whole lifestyle. How could he go to the Jewish people that became Christians and to the Gentiles who were Christians when they thought he was going to kill them? He would not be welcome in their midst. How was he to preach to them and teach them? Jesus gave him an impossible task. Go tell those that you have slaughtered that I love them. I want to save them, and I want to heal them. How in the world was the Apostle Paul going to do such a feat? Well, just as God showed Paul who he was through Jesus Christ, God was also preparing another man about the same time he was preparing Paul for his missionary work, and this man's name was Barnabas. Acts chapter 4, verses 36 and 37, and Hoseas who by the apostles was named sur surnamed Barnabas, 
which being interpreted the son of consolation and exhortation, a Levite, and of the country of Cyprus having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. He was described as a good man, Elax 11, for he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people was added to the Lord. In Acts chapter 9, verse 27, he spoke on behalf of the apostle Paul. When Paul wanted the hearing amongst the disciples, he spoke on his behalf. In Acts chapter 11, he brought Paul with him to Antioch. In 11, 27, and 30, he and uh, Barnabas and Paul took alms to the poor believers who were in Jerusalem and struggling because they had accepted Christ and given up a whole way of life that they had known. They just gave it up and said, we will follow the Christ. Barnabas and Paul got together and received an offering to help these young believers out. And in our scripture this morning, in Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 3, they were both ordained missionary to the Gentiles. At the same time Jesus was working on Paul to fulfill his mission in life, Jesus was working on Barnabas to fulfill his mission in life, and they worked together for the glory of God. Here's two Jewish men with two different experiences in life, thinking in their own way they were serving and following God. Paul, whose name was Saul, says, I got to go kill these people that say they're on the way and following Jesus. They're tearing up my way of life. He talks to his friends, he talks to the leaders, and he gets the paper and he heads out to Damascus and says, I'm going to go waste every one of them. And while he's going out on his own little world and his own little mission, Jesus appears to him and says, what are you doing, man? What are you doing here? It changes his life forever. He goes blind and he goes to praise and seeks God. And this man comes and prays for him. God called this little man and says, I want you to go pray for the apostle Paul so that he can receive his sight because I've called him to do a mission. And this guy says, I'm not going to him. Don't you know up there in heaven what he's doing to people? He said, don't worry about it. He knows you're coming. So Paul goes away for three years. So at the same time God is calling him, he's calling Barnabas on a whole different mission. Now Barnabas is a good Jewish man. It was required to go to Jerusalem three times a year to offer and worship the Lord. On the Feast of Pentecost, he's going to serve his God right at temple. But he hears this man Peter preaching the gospel with these other disciples. And as he's about to go into the temple and worship the Lord, he hears the message of Christ. He accepts Christ as his Lord and Savior. And he goes and he sells his land and he lays it all down at the apostles' feet. One guy going to kill people. One guy going to worship God. They both think they're doing the right thing in the way they're approaching God. And God works to them through the Lord Jesus Christ. They both repent of their sin. They open up their hearts to him. And now they've come together to work for the glory of God. Barnabas, the son of consolation and exhortation, he showed grace, peace to a new believer, Paul. And as a result, these two men turned the world upside down. They were sent by the authority of the church to establish churches throughout the Roman world. And these two men got in an argument. After their first missionary journey, they got into it over a guy named John Mark. The apostle Paul must not liked what he was doing. He said, you got to get out. 
You're not a man of faith. And Barnabas said, hey, wait a minute. You go take Silas to go with you, and I'll take John Mark to go with me. Barnabas took John Mark true to his name and who he was. He said, this here is another believer, Paul. I'm going to take him. I'm going to train him. And I'm going to raise him up to do the work of God the same way I've worked with you. To follow the Lord Christ. True to his name, Barnabas took John Mark with him on other missionary journeys. But I suppose this morning. Now. I wasn't raised in a brethren tradition, so I asked on Wednesday night about missionaries and stuff. Um, how does missionary works? But I suppose this morning that calls like the one here in Acts chapter 13 have changed over the years. Technology, the ability to be anywhere in the world in a matter of seconds through this little uh, thingamajigger up here. Your Facebook, internet, whatever you want to call it. You can be somewhere... Way over in Africa, you can be in Germany, all I got to do is pop it on. My boys now, they get on the internet and they're fighting guys in China on the warfare thing. I don't know, Munstercraft or something. And I'm like, How? you don't even understand those guys, but they're going after it. Technology, the ability to be anywhere around the world in seconds, and the growth overall of civilization has changed the nature of missions. Not too many people are getting up in the middle of a church service and saying, Christ is calling me to the mission field. Now, you may have heard it in your service, but I'm going to guess that nobody's felt so convicted in their heart and their soul. They say, hey, man, the Lord Jesus has called me to go to Zimbabwe, way somewhere over there, or has called me to go to Mexico, or has called me to go to the inner city of the United States. That don't happen so much anymore. Not too many people are saying that in the middle of a church service. Even fewer of the people of God get together for serious prayer and fasting to find the heart of God for the church. We're pretty comfortable in our own lives, are we not? I would say we're happy where we're at. I'm happy in my house. I'm happy in my job. I'm happy with my Jeep. I'm happy where I'm at. So I'm not going to rock the boat too much because I'm content. But now my wife knows me. She knows if God called me to go somewhere overseas, it'd be gone. You can have my Jeep, you can have my house, but Brother Brian is shot out the door. Because Americans, we love things, man. So they like we're going to get together and pray and seek the heart of God. What do you want us to do? What are you asking us to do? What are you calling us to do? The church has changed over the years. I would call this in that day fire. People fired up for the Lord. People fired up for Jesus. Hearts change. Lives change. Go back and tell their families. The families change. Go back and tell their towns. The towns change. Go back and tell the world. And the world changes for the glory of God because it was in their heart to do it. But I suspect very few churches get up and do that. Get together as a body of believers for prayer and fasting and seek the face of God. Yet still I believe that Jesus Christ uses the West Alexandria Church of the Brethren as a son of consolation and exhortation to those who are working in missions. As God was training Mr. West, now this is re reference to the Heifer International. Remember we said after a war he went out and he gave cans of soup and cans of green beans and these things to help feed the hungry. 
But as he was doing that, he realized it wasn't a long-term solution to a long-term problem. So after this training, and God is using him, and God says, he says, I need a cow. I need some kind of animal so I can take the people to help them sustain themselves over a period of time. So God is preparing Mr. West through this Heifer International, leading him, guiding him, and showing him. And all of a sudden, he's preparing a farmer with a cow. This little farmer has a cow. So Mr. West comes to this farmer one day and says, God's laid it on my heart to make missions a little different. I need a cow to take to some people. And as the story goes, there's a little children's book about it at the Brethren Center. As the story goes, the farmer says, well, Mr. West, you need faith. Well, why are you going to tell the man of God he needs faith? He done told you. He's asking God for a cow. He says, sir, I already have faith. I don't need faith. He says, you don't understand. I think you need faith in my cow. The farmer named his cow Faith. Now, I know that don't really mean anything, but I just think it's funny. He names his cow Faith. God's preparing Mr. West to do this ministry in one area, in one calling, and he's preparing this farmer in a whole different way. But in a moment of time, two men from two different directions in life who want to follow and serve Christ merge together. And Heifer blooms. Mr. West and his farmer coming together. This resulted in an explosion in ministering to the hungry and the hurting in a much different way. No longer just giving green beans and cans of food, but a way to sustain people, a way to sustain families, the way to help them grow and earn money and then allow them to bless somebody else. Two men and one cow took the gospel all around the world. Here in this congregation was a believer being prepared from childhood to say, I want to be involved in this ministry. And every missionary Sunday that we have, he's up here being our worship leader. He had been prepared this way. He had seen it worked in his own family. And he says, I want to be a part of that. And every third Sunday of the month, he presents this to you what Heifer is doing because it has so touched his heart that he wanted to be a part. You as a congregation of believers, you come along beside him to fulfill the call of God on his life, which allows Heifer International to fulfill the call of God on their life. How do you do that? You give to Heifer International. He just said how much money that was donated to it. You allow him to do the ministry God's called him to do, which allows Heifer International to do the ministry that God calls him to do. We all have a part to play in the ministry, in the call of God in our lives. We all come from different areas, from different venues, but we come together as one body full of the Spirit and say, Lord, use us for your glory. Use us for your kingdom. You as a congregation of believers, you come along beside him to fulfill the call of God in his life which allows Heifer to do what they want to do in the call of God on their life. What are you doing? You offer grace, you offer peace, and you offer exhortation to those who are serving on the mission field. But your giving not only helps to buy animals and all the kind of animals you buy, but it also opens doors for the missionaries to do the work. Now, I'll probably make some of you mad or offend you. I really don't care. The government 
is always finding a way to tax the man. You plucked your eyebrow out. That was one too many eyebrows. 50 cents is being charged to you and your family. When you go through Gratis, my hometown, if the little village needs a little bit of money, there'll be four or five cops there on one end of town, another four or five on the other end of town. You went a half a mile over the speed limit. Got to give you a ticket. <laughs> Sir, did you know your backlight was out? Every good Christian's going to lie. No, man, that just happened, dude. Sorry, but we got to tax you. Well, don't you think when somebody says, I'm a believer, and you want to go do missionary work, don't you think those governments and nations that are hurting for money, oh, man, here comes some easy money now. You're going to do the work whether they tax you or not. But the man wants to get that money, and he's going to make it difficult for you to do the work. But by you giving the funds to Heifer International, you open the doors where they don't have to mess with all that stuff. Now, we may not want to give the money to that, but let's let God work that out. Our call is to give. His call is to flesh it out. So we give and say, brother, sister, you're taking the gospel to people that we can't reach. And here's the money that provides you to do that. But along with Heifer International, you exhort those in this congregation to fulfill God's call on each and one of your lives. Now, I make a big to-do about your commissions. I think you guys uh, flow through your commissions. And most of you that are in commissions is pretty much the church. You're on some board or something in some capacity in some way. But there are believers, saints of God here, who don't serve on commissions, who may not want to be in that part of the aspect of the church and get migraines and headaches about the way things flow. They just want to do the work in the purest sense that they, they want to do it. They don't serve on any of these things, yet they do the work of God. They probably never get noticed, but they help fulfill the mission of the church that's going on here, what God wants to do. Now, I do want to say that the older congregation, when you was young, right, you probably had kids coming into the church. There was probably people sitting on this side that maybe been in their 80s or 90s saying, thank God there's some young people coming. I can retire from doing children's church for 37 years. But still, you came with the right heart. When you came as, as a young family, you saw the need. You saw what needed to go on. And you didn't do it just because you had to, but because Christ so touched your heart and he touched your soul, you said, I want to be involved. So you that are older serving on commissions, and maybe you are getting tired, and maybe you are getting worn down, your day's coming where you will get to end a sense, retire, and then train the young people coming in because they will have a heart for their kids just like you had a heart for your kid. They'll have a heart for their grandkids just like you do. Nobody wants to see the church die or the ministry die. But that's up to God to do it and for God to grow it and God to use it. So don't feel bad like nobody's coming in. You keep having to do it year after year after year. Those people sit back there in the 30s and 40s and 50s and 60s thinking the same thing. But in the end, it worked out because the people of God pulled together and done the work that needed to be done. What kind of missions, if you will, go on in this church? Kids Sunday school, children's church, playing a piano, playing an organ, keeping the grounds looking good, Praying for the church. 
There's people who their whole mission in life when they're at home is to pray for the growth of the church, the welfare of the church, the spiritual protection of the church. And God calls them to do that specifically. Pray for the church. All this and more is mission work. Those on commissions and those who are not. Each one fulfills the call of God on his or her life and helping others do the same. Some people probably now, most of us that's been in the church a long time, we'll go out and buy stuff that we think is needed for our church, do we not? We don't ever bring in a receipt because, in a sense, we don't want to charge the church, do we? We just do it. And we do it because God's been so good. I'm not saying it's not right or wrong about receipt. I'm not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about we always do things out of a free heart, do we not? When you know somebody has a need, you as a believer in your heart, you want to meet that need out of a free heart. You don't want nobody to know about it. You just say, God has touched me. God has saved me. I want to help you, my brother or sister, in some way. Then the brother or sister gets help, and then they help somebody else. All of us do that. It was not the money that Barnabas laid before the apostles' feet. He didn't have any all of a sudden. He sold his land. He gave everything away. He heard the message of Christ. He accepted Christ in his heart, and he came and he said, here's some of my land, I sold it, and here's my money, use it as you will. He was free, free in his heart. So Paul couldn't say, hey, Barnabas, give me a dime. I ain't got a dime to give you, didn't you know I laid all my dimes there before the apostles? Well, how are we going to get money? God's up to God. So Paul's a tent maker, and I'm sure Barnabas worked. But it wasn't money that propelled Paul into the ministry. It wasn't money that got him on the boat, in a sense. Money couldn't help him. He needed a friend. He needed somebody to come beside him and say, it's going to be all right. Everything's going to be okay. God's going to take care of us. No. <laughs> what propelled Paul to do Christ's work? No. You know what it was? Barnabas' love. For the Lord Jesus Christ and what he'd done in his life. He said, I give it all to the King of glory. None of it's mine. I give it to you, God, because why? You have saved my soul. You have touched my life. You've changed me, and everything I have belongs to you. So Barnabas walking one day probably sees Paul in a fight. Don't you know I'm a Christian man? Don't you know I'm a believer? He's appeared to me. He showed me his glory. He saved my soul. I promise you, I don't want to do you no harm. And they're saying, get away from us. You ain't saved. You don't know Jesus. You just want to do us harm. And Barnabas, who has no fight with anybody, comes in with a clean heart and says, what are you doing to my brother? He says he's a believer. He says he's accepted Jesus Christ. He says he wants to love Jesus Christ. Why don't we help him follow Jesus Christ as we are following him? It was his love for God, his love for Christ, and his love for his brother that propelled Paul to do the impossible task. That same love has to dwell in us this morning if we're going to do what God calls us to do. Barnabas was true to his name and what he wanted to do. And I hope this morning that we as a church can be a Barnabas, a son of consolation, a son of exhortation, a son that will come behind somebody and says, that feels the call of God in life. We are here to support you. Let us help you do the ministry God calls you to do. Then we can do the ministry God's called us to do. And then everybody's doing the ministry they're called to do.
Let there be no bitterness, no evilness, no meanness in our hearts toward one another or to any brother or sister who accepts the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us be free in our hearts just like Barnabas was free in his heart. And because he was free in Christ, the church just took off. You and I can have that same freedom. And you and I can have that same blessing if we'll just turn all of this over to him and say, this belongs to you. Would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, I come to you again in Jesus' name, thanking you for the story in Acts, how you appeared to the Apostle Paul and you saved his soul, filled him with the Spirit. And then you sent him on a task that he couldn't do. There's no way. But all the time you was grooming him and making him and molding him, you had Barnabas on the other side. You was doing a work in his life. And because you was doing a work in both their lives, you were fulfilling your very will, your Old Testament scripture, how you was going to save all mankind through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And these two men came together and fulfilled your will. Then you used Heifer International. And you use our brother here to present Heifer International every third Sunday on Mission Sunday, Lord God. Then you use us as a congregation to fulfill and help others fulfill the call of God in their lives. I pray now, Lord God, touch us each and every one by your Holy Spirit. If we need convicted, convict us right now. If we need to ask for forgiveness, Lord, then we need to ask it right now. But we want you to rule our lives, rule our hearts, God, because we want to spread your love. The love of Jesus Christ through everybody here in our families and around the world. I ask you now, Lord Jesus, do the work that only you can do. You know our hearts. You know our desires. Heal where we need to be healed. Send us where we need to be sent. Lord, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.